This episode of The Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hi, I'm Amy Farley, Senior Editor at Fast Company. We're taking a look at some of our favorite moments from the 2021 Fast Company Innovation Festival. Here's a conversation about sports, entertainment, and the new way we tell and sell stories with Stephanie McMahon, Chief Brand Officer at WWE, and Lee Trink, CEO and co-owner of FaZe Clan. Hey everyone, I'm Jeff Beer, a writer and editor here at Fast Company. We're here to talk about and learn from two companies that are working to redefine what it means to be a media and entertainment empire. Now, WWE has been around for, give or take, 65 years or more <laughs> in some way or shape or form. And its wrestling entertainment operation spans live events, TV, streaming, films, and just about every kind of merchandise you can think of. Um, meanwhile, FaZe Clan started in 2010 as a group of friends playing Call of Duty but has since become an esports and entertainment powerhouse, balancing a content production studio, talent management, director-consumer e-commerce, and a sales team negotiating brand deals. Its investors include NBA stars Ben Simmons and Jamal Murray, music industry manager and executive Guy Osiri, and musicians like Offset and Pitbull. They feel very different with those descriptions, but you know, what both of these companies have in common are how they're continually pushing the boundaries of their core product. WWE, which just returned to live events in July and more recently had their SummerSlam annual event in Vegas, has co-produced films like HBO's fantastic Andre the Giant documentary, Fighting With My Family, and the animated feature called Rumble. And the company also last month said it was going to come out with a series of NFTs inspired by John Cena. Now, last week, FaZe Clan announced a partnership with DC Comics for a limited edition comic book that'll feature superhero versions of FaZe Clan members, and of course, a line of merchandise like esports jerseys, apparel, and computer accessories. So, it's a lot. <laughs> Joining me today to talk about how it all works and where it could be headed are WWE's Chief Brand Officer, Stephanie McMahon, and FaZe Clan CEO, Lee Trink. Welcome to both of you, and thanks for coming to talk about it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Stephanie, I'm going to start with you. WWE has video streaming deals here in the U.S. with NBC's Peacock, as well as a variety of partners around the world. And now I've read recently you guys are getting into, into audio with an exclusive deal with The Ringer, which is owned by Spotify. Um, I'm wondering, is there, is there a current deal or project that you think of that, and I'm sure there's a lot, there's obviously a lot going on, but is there something that you think of that really embodies sort of WWE's vision and strategy for content in the future and where it's going? It's a great question. And you know, there's, you know, not just one. Um, I would have to say you highlighted the Peacock deal, which, you know, I'm, I'm happy to get into in, in more detail, but WWE was one of the first to launch a direct-to-consumer business uh, with WWE Network, you know, well over eight years ago. Um, and then that pivot to now licensing uh, our content domestically was obviously a, a big move for us. But also, if you really want to think about the history and the story of WWE and what you can learn from the past and where we're going in the future, it's probably the Netflix four-part docuseries that's coming out on my father, Vince McMahon, who is the chairman and CEO. 
Um, also in the media space, you reference Spotify. In the CPG space, we just announced a partnership with MLB, uh, where we're going to be doing some championship belts. Uh, really exciting. And um, also the NFT business that you referenced, we've done with both Undertaker and John Cena, and we're looking at how we're going to roll that out. And then, of course, live events. You know, we we just had our return to SummerSlam uh, at Allegiant Stadium, the first time ever at an NFL stadium with over 51,000 fans. We saw an increase of viewership, 55% year over year. So uh, definitely, you know, sort of all, all different tags. So not just one thing, but um, but a myriad of things across platforms. Maybe that's what embodies the, the, yeah, the vision for the future. I, I'm sure Lee's going to have the same kind of answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Lee, you know, you, I've I've read in previous interview you said that Phase Clan's sort of whole reason for being is to disrupt uh, the sports and entertainment world. Uh, something else maybe in common with WWE. Uh, how what what developments maybe over the last uh, over the last year? Because I know you guys have a lot going on. Also, I I, I mentioned the DC Comics just because it was fresh in my brain. But like, what developments over the last year have helped fur- most further that goal of that disruption? I would certainly point to uh, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated uh, in June. It was a watershed moment for us, uh, not only for us as FaZe, but I think a watershed moment for the industry. Uh, I think that we cemented a gaming and esports position within the sports landscape by doing that and, you know, by being, you know, uh, on the cover of such an iconic magazine like Sports Illustrated. You know, I think what we were uh, especially blown away by is the volume of sales of that issue. And, you know, we're, we're bringing a young audience uh, or a much younger audience in general that, that tends to not buy magazines. And uh, we were the highest selling issue outside of, outside of the swim issue over the last, for the last seven years. Um, so it was really kind of a jaw dropping number of, of how we can deliver an audience that really doesn't find itself on the newsstands, but was motivated to jump in. Um, so, I, you know, we're, we're incredibly proud of that. Um, you know, we did some other things that I think are, are groundbreaking. We had um, the artist Murakami um, do uh, a jersey for us and, and actually and mouse pads. We sold, I mean, nearly a million dollars of mouse pads in a day. Um, with Murakami, and now you'll see them on aftermarket sites like Grailed and StockX trading up on value the way kind of coveted sneakers are. Uh, so I think that was an incredible moment in the fact that that somebody as iconic as as, uh, as Murakami would be willing to do that. And he was super stoked about it. I think what we were really blown away by is how excited he got by the audience's reaction. Um, and then the last thing I would I would point to that I think flips kind of almost everything on its head is we sent out a tweet. We were, um, we were going to the finals uh, for, the, for the Call of Duty championship probably about a, about a month ago. And be, as leading up to it, we said, hey, anybody that likes this tweet, if we win, you can join FaZe Clan for a day. And we had about 100,000 people take us up on it. Uh, we did win the championship. And, you know, and what we enabled everybody to do was to change their social media handle to put FaZe in front of their name like our FaZe members do. Um, and kind of, I think one of the coolest things that we hadn't planned on, but a new sponsor of ours is McDonald's. And they went on their socials, changed their name to to FaZe McDonald's. And I just think that's kind of a, you know, to me, it shatters everything. The fact that we would, you know, bring in thousands and thousands of people to come in and be members of the team and be able to display that. Like, 
it disrupts what the what even the definition of a team is, right? Which I think we're we're doing. Lee, that wasn't a plan. McDonald's just did that on their own. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was it was really cool to see. Yeah. Is I, one thing that struck me is, you know, as I was trying to explain to somebody like what, who I was interviewing and, you know, to be fair, as soon as I said Stephanie McMahon and WWE, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. Okay, I know what that is. Base Clan sometimes for a certain audience, usually older, is a little harder to explain, yeah. not only as like a, as, as what the entertainment is, because it is, you know, it's not just gaming and esports, it's, it's the lifestyle content, it's, it's a whole lot of stuff. But, you know, and then I, and then I was reading an interview, I think it was Troy Carter, who's an investor, was like, wasn't sure, had an opportunity and like, but it was his son who was like, yes, do this. How, what do you, how do you explain what FaZe Clan is? Like as a bit, I'm sure, which I'm sure you do all the time. What, 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 what FaZe Clan is as a business to, to, to people who aren't sure what it is? Yeah, the, the hard part is there's no real elevator pitch, right? There's no way to kind of encapsulate it um, succinctly. Uh, you know, we, we consider ourselves kind of a, a youth culture, lifestyle and, and media platform. We kind of cemented ourselves as the the kind of, un, I would say, undisputed leader in the gaming space. And there was this symbiotic relationship of as gaming ascended into prominence, we also ascended and we helped each other, right? You know, we rode that wave together and, and there were things about gaming that pulled us ahead. And there are things that we did that pulled all of gaming ahead. Um, but we've transcended that to be really, I think, one of the most important brands in youth culture overall. And we have a platform because we speak to a very large audience on a daily basis. Um, you know, there's there's that uh, the shift of taking out um, intermediaries between brands and audience, and we that's where we started, right? We, we we're digitally native. Our fans are digitally native, and so we've been connected to them on a on a daily basis, and that ongoing relationship. Um, we have an ability to, to leverage that across really almost any of our aspirations as long as they feel true to, to who we are as an, as an identity. You know? Well, speaking of that, you know, I talk to a lot of brands and marketers specifically, but uh, all the time. And one word that comes up constantly is authenticity. Now, arguably, that is a way overused word uh, in a lot of different contexts, but it's still a trait that successful brands and companies are able to tap into with their audience nonetheless. Now, WWE has built this over multiple generations, like, and still been able to maintain that uh, uh, relevance. FaZe Clan, you guys have pretty much skyrocketed to household name status within a matter of a couple of years. I mean, obviously the technology and the way entertainment culture has just completely accelerated that. Stephanie, I'm wondering, you know, because you guys have also used all the modern tools as well as to stay, to keep that relevance. I'm wondering from your perspective, what the key to WWE's longevity has been uh, and, it, and it, that connection with its audience. Well, I think the last thing you said is the answer. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure Lee would agree, although I'm not, I can't put words in your mouth, but it is about that direct connection to your audience. It's about super serving them. It's about over-delivering on their expectations and over-delivering on their passions, right? So whether it was WrestleMania 1 in the 80s when, you know, my father, Vince McMahon, was looking at how to put WWE on the map. And, you know, there was always sports entertainment. So is it sports? Is it entertainment? We're a little bit of the redheaded stepchild. 
And Hulk Hogan was actually on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Lee. So I, I totally relate to that story. And, um, and it was a huge moment, a huge opportunity for us, this intersection of also relevancy, you know, what's, what's hot in the water cooler, what's pop culture. And we had Liberace and the Rockettes open the show. Mr. T actually competed, you know, in the ring as a part of the main event. Muhammad Ali was the special guest referee. Cindy Lauper accompanied Win- Wendy Richter to the ring uh, for the women's match. And it was, you know, this, this mashup. And my parents actually mortgaged everything they owned to make WrestleMania 1 happen. And it ultimately pioneered the entire pay-per-view industry. Um, you know, some historians will absolutely credit, you know, WWE. Some, of course, don't. But there's no doubt that we were a leader in the space. Then you think about direct-to-consumer. Again, what was the best way that we could bring our product to our fans all around the world? And that was when we decided to launch WWE Network eight years ago. And we did have a linear deal. We had a 10-year deal that was almost completed, almost locked up our rights. And we decided, you know what, hang on a second. The world is evolving. It's moving too fast. Our audience is telling us what we want. We did some more research. We found that our audience was five times more likely to consume online video. And we completely changed our entire strategy and went direct to consumer. I think digital and social now, the tools that we have, the ability to truly listen to our audience and empower our audience and let them know that their voices really matter and impact our business. Um, And one great example of that is the whole women's evolution that's happened in our business. And that is a direct result of our fans and a hashtag that they used called Give Divas a Chance, which ultimately has led to the, the rise of equality in WWE, and we've now seen our women headline in main event, WrestleMania, which is akin to our Super Bowl. We had um, a match in Abu Dhabi where there was a chant, this is hope, which is not a typical WWE chant, the impact you can make around the world when you listen to your audience. And then that has led to not one, but two women's matches in Saudi Arabia, where the chant is simply, this is awesome. So I think that the answer is really, you know, of course, staying slightly ahead of the curve in terms of technology so you can reach your consumers where they are and how they're consuming. But, you know, also just really keeping your ear to the ground, listening to what they have to say and letting them know by what you do in your response that their voice matters and they have an impact on your brand. Hmm. Lee, you know, I mean, obviously it's the guys started in 2010, so it wasn't, you know, six months ago, but the real boost to, like you were saying, this, this, this recognize one of the most important brands in youth culture that has been relatively quick in, in, in terms of the, the size and scale of what you guys have been able to do. How do you guys manage to navigate that kind of growth in terms of uh, knowing what is a phase clan, what is good for phase clan, what isn't? Because sometimes in so, some brands and some even just, you know, celebrities or, or, or sports stars, they, it's, it's very hard to sort of say no, or it's very hard to sort of keep true to the thing that made them popular in the first place. How have you guys uh, managed to navigate this, this, this growth over the last few years? Great question. It's not easy. One of the most important aspects of this kind of growth period is that we didn't walk away from what got us here and we didn't walk away from the people that got us here, right? So I lean so heavily on the founders of FaZe Clan to help navigate those decisions. My background is in traditional entertainment, predominantly music business. I also manage a lot of artists. So I'm, I'm really accustomed to what that tightrope is between culture and commerce, 
you know, how do you grow something without ruining what's special? And you have to be painstaking in your approach. You have to be really honest with yourselves. Um, you have to be willing to take risks. And, you know, so when we do something new, we, we debate it, right? And, and leveraging the deep knowledge that the founders have about what the brand means and what the fans expect has been really critical. But we also are, it's important that we continue to grow and, and we see things like the guys for sure, they were floored by the impact that Sports Illustrated had because it didn't resonate with them, right? They didn't grow up with Sports Illustrated being the same, you know, the same type of brand that it, that it meant to me or would, meet, would mean to Stephanie. And yet seeing that and seeing how it impacted the fans and, and everything else we did makes them more open-minded about things that are not necessarily endemic to, to gaming. And that's been both the challenge and the opportunity is, you know, how do we, you know, keep a foot in to, to where our roots are, continue to understand what our DNA is, but also take risks and, and, and have an exploration. And my view, and, and I think that the results uh, bear this out, is our fans are on a journey with us. And I think that that journey started in 2010 when they saw the founders and the original phase members who were teenagers who decided to take their love of gaming you know, first they were just kind of fooling around with a new platform with YouTube. And then at some point still in their teens decided to say, you know what, forget about school, forget about career, forget about other options. We're going to try and turn this thing into our livelihood when nothing like that existed. And so the journey and the exploration started then. They rose to, to the highest of prominence for Gen Z and young millennials. And so I think that they continue to be open-minded. And as long as that we, we super serve them and, and Stephanie made this great point about really super serving your fans and making sure that they, that they don't forget that you, or, or that they still always know that you didn't forget where you came from. Um, they will, they're willing to go on, on the journey and, and we won't get everything right either, but that's really how we've been able to balance it by, you know, by really being plugged into the source and not letting the business overtake the brand. Is there a brand deal or content decision that sort of is an example of say that something that maybe didn't strike them as completely that like you're talking about after Sports Illustrated, they started thinking a little bit beyond the potential beyond uh, uh, strictly gaming. And was there, was there a, a partnership or, or something that sort of reflects that taking that sort of uh, step into a little bit of the unknown that that ended up working out well. Well, I mean, the McDonald's one comes to me immediately, but like I'm wonder, I'm wondering about that. But but it was there one that strikes you as sort of the one that sort of got the ball rolling. Well, it's funny because you know McDonald's was received very differently, and I actually credit Travis Scott with that. And what Travis did with McDonald's was so impactful to the identity of McDonald's that it change the nature of this, of the deal for us, right? Because we're actually, you know, he did the, he did the heaviest lifting of actually, you know, reshaping what that brand is and what their relationship is to youth culture, right? And so we were another extension of that, that really resonated. Again, Sports Illustrated, probably the, the key one, because they, it's not that they were against it. They, they, they didn't understand the benefit. And it's because the way I, I look at it is, and I think that it's, it's part of the reason why we've had explosive growth. We've had a long time incubating the brand, 
where, where gaming was really just undervalued by the rest of the world. The only people that kind of played with gaming, it, you know, are the publishers and platforms like Twitch or YouTube. And for the rest of the world, largely and utterly ignored. And so there was this unbelievably vibrant community, which we were in a leadership position um, in. And so for me, the, what, what I saw as the, as the opportunity and, and almost was like the, the, the thing that wore on me was the dissonance between who we actually were and how the traditional world viewed us, or maybe even more accurately, didn't view us and didn't care to view us. And so, you know, we started building bridges. And to me, I started reaching out to anybody who would listen to me about what FaZe Clan was, because I, what I used to say is, you know, I've, I, you know, I have the biggest secret in show business, is what it felt like to me. And I was trying to shout it from the rooftops. And eventually that started, you know, and as we had more and more people kind of helping with that mission, we built a bridge to the traditional world. We were starting to demonstrate our significance, our power. And finally, there was like almost this tipping point. And again, Sports Illustrated just kind of cemented it. But, you know, we were we were on this kind of accelerated path of you know, it's like every day. And I always used to point outside, you know, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles. I would refer to those people out there. Um, and I would say, you know, like every day, a new group of people on the light bulb went off of who we were. And I think that's the reason why it's all of a sudden, that's why we exploded is because the traditional world started to understand how important this community was and FaZe Clan's place in the community. This episode of Most Innovative Companies is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Stephanie, you, uh, you mentioned WrestleMania 1, and I actually remember that. And, the, and I also remember things like rock and wrestling, Saturday morning cartoon, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I had a junkyard dog action figure that... It strikes me as like the way a lot of brands and companies, and we talk about intellectual property a lot, where whether it's Disney with Marvel and Star Wars and just the extensions and also the public's sort of uh, uh, general knowledge around how, uh, around all these extensions, like they almost expect it. You guys have been doing these kinds of, whether it's entertainment, like the Saturday morning cartoons or the merchandising or deals with uh, uh, fast food and, and, and various brands for a long, long time. I'm wondering, you know, how, as the media landscape, as consumers change, how often you as, as chief brand officer, you guys look back on like lessons from, you know, whether it's as far back as, you know, the eighties and early nineties to, you know, last week, like, how do you guys look at where you're going to extend, uh, and take lessons from the past? I think it's important to take lessons from the past. It's important to learn every single day, whether you're a brand or a human being, right? Um, so, you know, in terms of where we are going today, and, and just to to also answer a question I think you've been asking along the way, I think what makes brands successful is when you combine two things, maybe three things, okay? Smart executives, right, who understand the space, that, that would be one. Um, but it's really community and passion, 
you know, you, you mentioned in the beginning, authenticity is an overused word. If you replace it with passion, you know, that's what really drives it. That's the key differentiator, right? That's that's in the gaming space and in, in your world, Lee, like staying so true to your core and your brand and what brought you guys to the dance. You know, that's that's the same thing for us. Um, and I always hearken back to Maya Angelou, who said, people will never remember what you said. They'll never remember what you did. They'll always remember how you made them feel. So our goal is always to make people feel, whether that's through storytelling, whether that's, you know, through, through whatever we're doing from, from a content and brand perspective. And then you, you think about through that lens, through that storytelling lens, through the community and the passion lens, and then you apply all of the lessons moving forward and where we are today. And I think there's, you know, it's an undeniable creator economy. Right. So so it's a transition from brands owning and controlling the message to individual athletes or in our case, individual superstars or individual gamers helping amplify their voice, understanding that in and of themselves, they are their own brands. So when you look at the Marvel model, you know, across all of the different lines of business and the brand moat that you can surround with an individual I think there's nothing but upside in terms of WWE. Yes, we've been doing it throughout the years, but we could be doing it so much better. And we have a key focus on that moving forward. Going into that idea of, and, and Lee, you touched on this earlier as well, talking about removing the middleman uh, in terms of a connection with the audience. Now, I, I think both, you know, because both your, whether it's wrestling or video games, began kind of in their own communities, like going directly in a way, like you had fans coming to the same as you maybe weren't on the, uh, for wrestling, it was straddling sports entertainment. So it wasn't in uh, movie theaters at, at that time at, for, and then it wasn't also on sports updates in a lot of ways. You had your own, you had to build your own audience. Same with gaming in a lot of ways. You guys were online. You weren't on the cover of Sports Illustrated or being covered a lot. You the built, they built their own audience. Um, with traditional sports entertainment, now they're dealing with, you know, whether it's athletes or celebrities getting this direct contact through social media uh, to their audience. You guys are maybe a little more used to that, but I'm wondering how, how do you guys balance the, the overall, you know, WWE brand in one, one case, FaZe Clan brand in the other, and the individuals that make up, whether it's the superstars on the wrestling or the individual FaZe Clan members and how they interact individually with their audience. It's, it's a lot to balance. I'm wondering, uh, Stephanie, I'll start with you, um, how you guys balance that and how your approach to that has evolved most maybe over the last few years. Well, you know, and it's it's a strategic question, right? And we, we bounce back and forth on it, you know, a lot. Should we stay storyline based? Should we be more individual based? Should it be more about the talent's personal side? You know, what what's really going to drive that audience and that engagement? And every platform's different. And the platforms are continuing to evolve. So when you think about TikTok, you know, TikTok is not the platform for late breaking news. You know, even though my kids will tell you they learn how to do everything on TikTok and it's uh, pretty, pretty wrong in, in some cases. Um, but for us, we experimented um, in one way that was not successful in another way that very much was. So we had um, a talent tryout in Las Vegas around our big SummerSlam event, and we tried uh, to recruit talent through you know, TikTok through, through one of their platforms. And it was, you know, moderately successful, but certainly not what we really wanted it to be. 
We also then tried a TikTok announcer challenge to have, you know, who was going to be a ring announcer to announce a special match at SummerSlam. And that absolutely over-delivered. You know, that was through the roof. Um, we then started focusing on more of the entertainment-based clips for TikTok. And we have this one superstar entrance, um, uh, uh, one of our talent named Reginald, who did this crazy flip in the ring. And it's been seen over 82 million times. I mean, it, it seems just like a crazy number, right? You never know what's going to hit, what's going to resonate. Um, but also we train and develop our talent on how to utilize all of these different platforms, how to be their own creators or their own predators, you know, producer editors. Um, at one point in time, we had a content innovation lab set up at our performance center where we were bringing in other influencers outside to help teach, you know, our talent how to utilize the platforms correctly. Um, on YouTube, we are uh, the fourth most viewed overall YouTube channel in the world. Um, and the number one sports channel. On TikTok, we just surpassed the NBA in terms of number one, and it's very close, but uh, we did just surpass the NBA in terms of most followed sports on TikTok. And, um, you know, we just need to utilize these platforms and empower the individuals because every individual can have its own base, can have its own connection. You know, you never know what's really going to resonate with your audience, and someone might love John Cena, for example, someone might love Big E, someone might love, you know, Bianca Belair in terms of WWE superstars. They may not love the overall WWE brand. So you have to give them the opportunity to connect with the individuals and what they find, what resonates with them as an individual versus the, the overall brand. Yeah, I remember, I, I think I read a comment from you in, in an interview where you were saying, you were just basically talking about the iteration in terms of how, like the, the learning curve in something, in, in all the different areas that FaZe Clan is. And I imagine this is one of them where you guys are constantly sort of, uh, like uh, to Stephanie's point, like trying things out and seeing how it works and then going back and, okay, if that doesn't work, that's it. And it's, and it's very quick. Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys balance that? The, the phase members, they obviously all have phase like like McDonald's did for one day, phase in front of their names. But and then there's the overall phase clan. How do you guys how do you guys balance that right now? The brand identity began because of the collective of individuals. There was a there was a group of individuals who through the expression of how they represented themselves and how they represented phase clan turned into what the ethos of phase clan was. And so I don't think that there's real tension there. Um, I think that the, the way we approach it is we want to, we, you know, we, we look at the talent that we recruit and we want to help them um, find their path and follow their path and, and help to both facilitate and cultivate. And so whether, you know, we're starting to actually explore um, a broader range of talent, right? We're, you know, we're developing um, a music talent right now that's been in really kind of delicate development over the course of a long period of time, partially because we know when you step into a new arena like that, especially like a delicate one where the people within music um, have real sensitivity to, you know, kind of somebody who would be a carpet bagger or somebody who's coming at it the wrong way. So we really are taking a sensitive approach to that, but really it's about, we want to help our individual talent find their expression of phase clan and that will continue to evolve what phase clan means overall the north star is that we want to be um, aspirational we want it to represent kind of best in class of anywhere we go 
and however we, we choose to express the brand. We're following our, our individual talent on their journey and we're, we're kind of arm in arm on that. And that begins to sort of push out the outer reaches of what FaZe Clan is. Um, and I think that's what's kind of incredible. And it's also, you know, when, when you think, you know, when I think about what are the limits, it's really difficult to think about what couldn't we do eventually, right? We couldn't do everything at once. There seems to be very little that we couldn't express the brand through. And that's kind of an, it's just an incredible thing. Well, that was, I was, I was thinking my next question, <laughs> you know, when you start thinking about like for both your businesses, if you go back to the very beginning or close to it and say, and, and bring in something that you guys are up to today, whether it's a type of merchandise or, or an entertainment investment, I don't think a lot of people be like, what, what do you mean WWE has a Hollywood movie that act, is a cartoon and or phase plan is in Batman? Like what? I don't understand. So I'm wondering in terms of how you guys, you talked about- By the way, though, I, I think that that used to be different. I think in some ways, FaZe Clan has it easier than, than WWE because the world is a little bit different. And I think that, that lately, fan bases are more accepting of different explorations, whereas yesterday and the era where, you know, and I don't want to speak for Stephanie, of course, but, you know, look, I, I, you know, I was a, a fan kind of Bob Backlund era. Right. So not to date myself, but um, but at that time, people were you know, brands were punished sometimes by exploration. And so the risk factor was actually much more challenging. And I think, you know, and, and just I did want to make one other point about what you what you made about how WWE and FaZe Clan, we were almost forced to have that connection with our audience because nobody else actually really was interacting with us right like wwe especially right like you had no choice but to, to but to be the master of your own destiny nobody was coming to save you nobody was coming to support you if you didn't do it it didn't happen and i think it's kind of the same thing when i talk about gaming being in the corner it's like no one cared about us so it's like if, it, if we didn't do it it didn't happen you know and i think it's an interesting parallel it's also interesting you're talking about that you don't you guys didn't have the burden of say heritage in a way like you, you yeah. know where Stephanie has you know a legacy of fans that maybe you know you see uh major league baseball sort of struggle with this sometimes or other sports where it's like people still want their paper ticket and they're really angry if you try to change things or whatever but Stephanie how about how about you like you know I how, how do you guys think about the parameters of you know whether it's a certain type of content IP or 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 a certain kind of merchandise. Like, how do you know if it feels right or not? Same thing, right? There's there's no uh, frontier that that WWE can't take on. You know that there really isn't. And it's funny to to be the legacy business on the panel because typically, you know, I'm, I'm on here with other sports leagues that that have been around for you know many, many, you know, many years. And for us to be sitting here in this position, it's it's very different for me. And and I certainly don't see it as a burden of legacy. You know, I, I think that 
we have such a rich history that we can draw from. And then when you think about, so I was giving the the Marvel example before about our talent brands. Now think about our legends. Think about Bob Backlund. You know, think about Hulk Hogan. Think about JYD. You know, what are the other lines of merch that we can create around th- around them? Whether it's T-shirts or you had mentioned before cereal boxes. You know, we had uh, Becky Lynch. You know, on the on the cover of uh, of Golden Grams, and it was just just awesome. And um, there's really nothing that we can do because I do believe in the audience. I do believe in the opportunity to take risks. And the fact, I agree with Lee, that today you're encouraged to take risks. And and as long as you keep your audience along for the ride and you ask them for their feedback, like, hey, we're going to try something here. It may or may not work. Let us know what you think. You know, and if they pan it and it's terrible, okay, no problem. You learn and, and you move forward. You know, you, you can't be afraid to take risks. You have to take calculated risks. You have to be willing to fail. And you have to rely on your audience, on your consumers to give you that feedback to know just how far you can really push it. The business as well. I mean, over the course of this conversation, we've sort of seen a lot of the, the, the actual parallels, even though if, you know, on, on first glance, they look very different. I, I was wondering, you know, whenever I have two people with, very interesting businesses together. And I know this is a panel, but I want to pretend for a moment that you guys are in a couple of airplane seats. And if you just met, what question, what one question would you ask each other about your respective businesses now that actually we've got uh, a discussion behind us when we've each learned a little bit about the other and their approach? Uh, Stephanie, what would you ask Lee about FaZe Clan? Well, Lee, um, first of all, I want to talk to you, you know, after this panel, because I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> and I was going to maybe ask about the Mona Lisa behind you, but then it seems like it keeps changing. And so I'm not exactly sure what's going on there, but... Piece of digital art. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about youth culture, you know, and uh, it's one of the key focuses for WWE right now is next gen. And, you know, a lot of, would you know, fans of sports aren't even necessarily watching on television. They're playing, say, you know, say Madden, right? And they're playing the game. They they believe they're an NFL fan. They're, they're a fan of a particular team. They do all of the research across all different platforms, you know, but never actually even have watched on TV. Gaming is, is such an important piece. I also believe because it is about community, it is about bringing people together. You can have your own identity. You can change your identity. You can be whoever it is you want to be. Um, in the gaming world. And it's just this um, cookie jar, if you will. So I, I would love to understand youth culture better from you and and dig in on the possible partnership opportunities with FaZe Clan and WWE. Yeah, I'd love that um, for sure. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, if we, if we were on a, on a plane together, probably what I'd really want to hear about are um, kind of the, the, you know, two types of challenges you know, one, you know, Stephanie, when you, when you mentioned that, that your, you know, your family kind of mortgaged the house and, and kind of bet it all and to turn into, you know, WrestleMania one, like those, those stories to me are really important. I think that there are a lot of learnings in the type of risks that you take um, at certain points, you know, and, and those things I think define, uh, they define a business, they define a brand, they define the culture of a, of a, of a company. And probably the other the other thing that I'd want to ask about are the moments of scale. You know, the decision that that you were referencing about you were about to do a ten year linear deal and then made a pivot to go do something else. 
you know, the challenges of scaling, I think, are, are there's going to be tons of parallels that we're experiencing right now as we think about what's the next horizon for us? How do we continue to scale, um, you know, the, 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 the business while strengthening the relationship and the bond that we have with our with a kind of an ever growing fan base? So those are all the kind of questions that I'd, I'd want to uh, hear about. Well, the plane has landed. And that's about all the time we have for today. I want to uh, I want to thank you guys. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, Stephanie, for your time and talking about your business. It's going to be pretty exciting to follow you guys over the over the next, well, I would say six months, but next few years especially. Um, and thanks, of course, to all our viewers. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the rest of the Innovation Festival. Thanks, guys. Thanks thank for you. having us. Great, great to meet you guys.